You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Shauna. I help connect tech companies with top tech talent. And today I'm your host. Welcome back to another Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I am joined by three senior leaders within the Sydney technology industry, where we are going to discuss the topic of building high-performing tech teams. We're going to cover areas such as selecting and vetting the right talent mix for such teams, psychological safety within these teams, and practical tips for building a high-performing team. So before we get started, um, I think it'd be great if we could get an introduction, um, find out a little bit about our amazing panelists, um, what you're passionate about. Um, so yeah, Kayla, if you want to kickstart it. Hello, um, my name's Kayla Panozzo. I am a software engineering manager at Wargaming, um, which if you don't know Wargaming, um, they make video games mainly around war. Um, hence the name. Um, so I lead two different teams there um, with 10 different software engineers um, and pretty much we build tech for games. Um, I am passionate about servant leadership. So I'm very much um, a leader who does what my team needs rather than actually managing the team or micromanaging the team. Um, my other passion is mental health. Um, I have recently been diagnosed with ADHD, so I have been um, going through that path and realised how um, how much I didn't know, really. So um, I want to make that aware, um, build awareness around that and build support around that. Um, that's pretty much me. Thank you, Kayla. Um, and over to Andrew. Hi, everyone. So I'm Andrew Whitehouse, and I'm the, the Head of Quality Engineering DevOps and Technical Consulting uh, for Ampion, which is now a Wipro company. And um, I, I guess you'd say my passion is really consulting. Um, I really love helping the people that I work with discover how they can deliver their software more efficiently and reliably. Um, and my role within Ampion has many facets really, but um, essentially I'm responsible for running the technical practice. So, um, you know, that's everything from making decisions about who comes into the business and selecting the talent um, all the way through to uh, the solutions that we actually bring to our customers. Um, and my my immediate team is really about 10 directs, but um, we, we have around two to 300 consultants locally. Um, and that's me. Thank you so much, Andrew. Um, Azadeh. Hello, everyone. My name is Azadeh Kojandi, and I'm engineering manager at the Trade Desk. The Trade Desk is a public company with a headquarter based in the US. The Trade Desk is in the ad tech industry. One of the Trade Desk missions are maintaining the open internet by the power of the inter uh, advertisement. I am also the managing director of Kick Australia a non-for-profit charity with the mission of bringing more women into IT industry and help women to grow in their career. In terms of the passion, I think it's very clear uh, by uh, working in non-for-profit that I care about uh, diversity and inclusion and empowering everyone to be their authentic self. And that's, I think it's about me. Awesome. Thanks so much, Azadeh. Um, so I think today the best way to dive into this, um, I think would maybe to get sort of your own sort of, you know, insight to what high performing teams means to you as individuals and what characteristics does a high performing team have? Um, who would like to go first? I'll pick then. Let's go, Andrew. <laughs> uh, sure. So what what does it mean to me? Uh, I guess if you'd asked me maybe a few years back, I probably would have said something like striving for excellence and capability. And, you know, obviously from an engineering background myself, um, I'd always set the bar really high. Uh, you know, and I suppose I'd worked in quite a few what you'd call alpha dev teams. Uh, with people that had yeah. pushed me really hard to be better. Um, and so I guess that sort of, you know, that the technical hands-on skills was what mattered to me a lot for a really long time. Um, however, I think probably, you know, as I've grown as a leader, um, I, I still think that that's very important. Uh, but 
you know, obviously I've learned over the years that organizations are kind of like large ships um, and it often takes a lot to steer that ship. Um, and, you know, sometimes things that seem like that they matter on the surface probably might not have as much weight in the context of the broader business. So I think, you know, what what's important to me now in terms of, you know, building a good team or a high performing team is is more just about how can we improve things in smaller increments, um, you know, yeah, with the resources that you have uh, at any given time in, in you know, as the, the most meaningful way as possible. And I think, you know, the, the construct of a team itself is a very transient thing. Um, you know, people grow in their careers and they go on to do other things. And, you know, I think that transient nature of it means that, you know, we all kind of come together in the in the team construct to to achieve a specific outcome, um, you know, within a specific time period. And and, you know, that's you just have to do the best that you can to improve the business that you're working for within that that time period with the resources that you have. Um, and I think that that's a much more pragmatic goal to have now than we must all be the next Google and we must all be alpha developers. And <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, awesome. Thanks so much, Andrew. Um, as a day, um, tell us a little bit about what it means to you. I can talk about the definition of a performing team and how I def define it. Yeah. I define it as a group of highly skilled individuals. When mm -hmm. I say highly skilled, I mean I, I mean both in soft skills and technical skills, working across functional areas, delivering value to the business and their industry. And while they are performing at their best, they're enjoying the process as well. So this is my definition of high-performing team. And I think that I absolutely agree with Andrew in a sense that we are not looking into only business outcome. We care about every individual to make sure that they enjoy the process, they yeah. go through the process, they feel fulfilled by doing the work and task that they have been given, and they can see the impact of their work. And they reward for the impact that they are having. So that's the definition of high-performing team. And we can talk about it later uh, in terms of as a leader, what's our responsibility to create that environment and how we can maintain that environment. Amazing. Awesome. Um, Kayla, tell us a little bit about what it means to you and what you see as you know key characteristics of high-performing team. Sure. Um, so what I wrote down pretty much has been said. Um, <laughs> pretty much it's a team that works together to deliver value. Um, yeah. I think really the soft skills are um, are more important than the technical skills as far as I see it. Um, teams with that trust each other, have strong communication um, and strong collaboration are going to work better um, than members of a team that don't trust each other but are highly skilled. Um, you really want members of the team to be engaged, um, as as Aday said, um, delivering value and seeing that result. Um, the other thing is you want them to hold each other to account but not blame each other. So you want them to want to improve as a team and want to improve each other and want to improve themselves. Um, and that's really what gets to a high-performing team because if you are passionate about improving yourself and the team, then of course it's going to get better and better. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. Um, do you want to, does anyone else want to add anything else until we move on to our sort of first subtopic? Good to go. Amazing. So um, the first subtopic that was brought forward by Andrew, um, it is selecting and vetting the right talent mix. Um, so Andrew, if you want to kind of dive into that and kind of give us your insights to how do you determine the mix of maturity and skill sets to bring in? Um, also, how to technically and non-technically vet the candidates for high-performing teams? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that finding people is probably something that uh, we all struggle with, and particularly over the past couple of years, it's been increasingly difficult to find uh, good talent and hold on to good talent as well. Um, and I, I think, you know, what I find the most difficult is making about uh, making decisions about who to actually bring in 
um, you know, based on the type of work that I'm trying to do at any given time. And, you know, maybe previously in my career, I would have had a handful of people in my network uh, whose skills that I knew well um, and that I could probably call on to, um, you know, be a, a kind of a dream team to come in and uh, get things done where necessary. But, um, you know, my challenge now, I guess, is because I'm working with a wide range of different types of organizations and different types of technology that, um, you know, I've I've got access to a very specific pool of uh, of people out in the market that that I'm either trying to retain or I'm trying to hire. Um, and, you know, I think it's it's extremely difficult to make uh, decisions. You know, you're basically you're talking about people's careers here and it's, you know, how do you convince yeah. somebody to come in to the business and go on a journey with you and, you know, make sure that you can fulfill that, you know, all the promises that you made them when you convinced them to join the business and um, continue to support them and make sure that, um, you know, you're meeting the immediate objectives that you have, as well as making sure that that, you know, that person is supported and, um, you know, that they're, they're going on to do the things that they should be doing in their career as well. Um, and you mentioned a couple of things there, Shauna, just as well uh, uh, as the you know, I suppose the the points that I brought up. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that uh, when you've got a very limited pool to select from, and you've got a very limited window to be able to to vet a person's skills, I think you know, to put my perspective on it, I I would always go for, um, and you know, this has been mentioned before um, by all the panelists, is that it's really about uh, you know passion and uh, potential as well. And I think, you know, that's what I probably value the most highly. Um, you know, obviously, uh, we, we all have to be able to get the job done that we that we come in to do. But, you know, I found that passion always trumps immediate technical skills. It's Absolutely. the thing that will, it's the thing that'll keep you up till three in the morning trying to learn the thing <laughs> that you that you need to be able to do the next day. Yeah. Um and yeah, I don't know if this is the right time, but I'd I'd love to know, um, Kayla and Azadeh, what what your thoughts are as well. Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, no, I 100% agree. I think um, I, what I wrote down was um, team fit and passion are the two that yeah. I hire for. Um, I have made the mistake semi-recently of trying to get the people that have the technical expertise and um, there's always some, even if they had that technical expertise, they come in and there's always something that is um, very specific to your company, the way it works or the tech or whatever it is. Yeah. And so they have to ramp up anyway. So people that I've hired that are passionate um, and fit well in the team usually actually ramp up faster because um, they've got the team support behind them. They feel comfortable. Um, and they're really passionate to learn, so they can pick up those skills really fast. Incredible, yeah, um, yeah, I agree. So when I, as a hiring manager, when I look into the candidates, I think that over the uh, over the years, as an industry, we learned that we shouldn't hire people based on the skill that they have. We need to to look look into their potential and also uh, what I call it as a ghost mindset in a sense that when you look at the candidate, you're assessing that how they are learning, how they upskilling, how they chose their career in the past. So if you have done the same thing for the last 12 years, you don't have the experience of 12 years. You have the experience of one year that you repeated over 12 years. So you, when you're looking for the candidate history, you could see that actually that gives, that tells you a lot in terms of how they are managing their career, how they pick the next challenge for themselves. So are they picking the next challenge based on the experience they learn, based mm -hmm. on the, you know, based on what the, the new role can offer them, or rather than they come with a mindset that I know these skills and I'm fit for this role because I know them. So then that means that as an industry, we know that every two or three years, the technologies changes. We need to rebuild 
whatever we have built in the past. So if you bring people based on what they know now and they have no indication or they're happy to learn, that means that they slow down the industry and your organization because they are not willing to propose new ideas. They are not bringing innovation to your organization. They stuck in past and they are not offering the new innovative ways of uh, doing things differently or improving things because they are afraid of change, they are afraid of learning, they are afraid of, you know, not knowing it. Yeah. So these are the people that potentially you won't want in your organization yeah. uh, when you are looking at from the vetting and, you know, just in terms of the skill set. Can I also add one thing related to potential? Um, because there is a, an it's not a myth, it's a reality, unfortunately. And because it's a topic that I'm also passionate, I just want to make sure that I bring it up. Based on the historical information and based on the research shows that women are hired based on their past experience and men are hired based on the potential. So as an industry, as a hiring manager, we need to acknowledge that it's happening and we need to make sure that this is our bias. So we need to address it because it's very easy. Most of the hiring managers are men, so they can relate and say, oh, this person looks like me. I have done it. I have seen people like him has done it. So they automatically see the potential in the candidate and yeah. because they can resonate with them. So they hire them based on the potential. But because we don't have a diverse hiring managers, that means that that bias, it actually doesn't help women or female candidates because most of the hiring managers, they are men. Mm. And they cannot kind of like resonate with the candidates because they cannot see the similarity. So they go and fall back with the analytical mind and they are falling back in terms of, okay, what experience this candidate has, what they can bring to our organization. And if we are thinking about potential, so we, I, I would like to make sure that we acknowledge that there is a bias and we all have bias. There is no problem in that. But if we know that if there is a bias, then we can be more intentional when we are assessing the candidates. I pause here and I pass it back to Shona. Yeah, um, absolutely, guys. This is incredible insights. Um, and I actually like to add a little bit to it myself. Um, when I'm helping engineering teams grow, and absolutely there is a talent shortage, um, and I always try to advise um, based on those sort of there's a couple of words actually that came up there like growth um you know ability to learn passion for learning um and when engineering managers are hiring I always try to advise to kind of go with the 70 percent 30 percent ratio um sort of you know the engineer having the 70 percent of the skills that they can do the job and that 30 percent is you know the potential um I think something that I think needs to be improved as well as how to assess um, the potential side of things. So how do we assess, is this person passionate enough? Is this person got ability to learn on the job? Um, when was the last time they learned something and implemented it? Um, but yeah, and I think it will also solve the problem of retention. If you do hire with that 30% gap for knowledge sharing, um, you know, so it kind of does the full sort of circle um, if you look at that. But yeah, I think we're all on the same page there. So amazing insights. Thank you so much, guys. Um, I think the other question you had under that subtopic was how to make sure that the current mix of skills on your team matches the short term objectives while taking into account the long term investment in those staff career and growth. Um, do you want to get into that one, Andrew? Sure, sure. And, uh, you know, there's there's obviously so many things that have come up already that <laughs> that just bleed Over into that. all of yeah. all of these things. Um, you know, I must admit, uh, and, and I'm sure that that everyone can relate to this, to being kind of devastated when people that I've hired that I've really believed in leave the business. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just one of those things that I'm sure we'd all agree to that you know, we're dealing with people, we're dealing with other people and, you know, everybody has, you know, w whatever might be going on in their in their own lives. And, um, you know, of course, our ability to have insight into that is is based on that, that person's personality and whether they're transparent or, um, you know, there's just so many factors. And I think that's what makes 
hiring and retaining people so difficult, mm. um, you know, particularly for that retention piece. Um, you know, again, I, I suppose the business that I'm in is a little bit unique in a way because we always have an immediate objective, although we do hire, I guess you'd call it proactively. Um, we, we often have an immediate objective and that often dictates uh, a lot of the skills mix that we'd need at any given time. Um, but obviously the, you know, the long-term implications of that are if, if I hire somebody today, you know, where are they going to be in six months time? And, you know, where, where, where do I see them going and, you know, can they be a meaningful member of the team for a long, a long period of time? And I think, um, it's such a difficult question to, to answer, particularly when you've got maybe a couple of hours to interview someone and to get to know them. Um, and, and, you know, I think that, uh, you know, also what Azadeh was bringing up around the diversity is, is super important. Um, yeah. and it's just such, it's another piece of the puzzle that's so difficult. Um, you know, particularly in this restricted, um, I keep referring to it as a market. Sorry, that's just the consultant in me. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, the current pool of, of talent that we have around and, you know, I would say that one thing that I'm particularly passionate about and I don't see enough of is, um, you know, how do we kind of get that that pool? How do we grow that pool from universities? Um, and I think, yeah. you know, part, part of the diversity uh, piece, I, I would feel probably lies in that as well. Like, how do we encourage, um, you know, diversity uh, in, in, in those that actually go into do technology? And then how do we actually give them a reliable pathway um, into a first job. Um, and that's, that's a whole other topic is hiring graduates and, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, supporting them to, to, you know, stay within a business for a couple of years and really cut their teeth. And, um, but I'll, I'll probably stop talking and, uh, hand over to Kayla and Azadeh. What do you both think? Um, I think a lot of things. Um, just to touch <laughs> on the diversity, um, I think it's earlier. It could like the problem's also earlier than um, university. Like really, we should be getting to kids and teaching them the pathways in tech and Absolutely. all of that. It needs to start really early for it to actually solve um, a lot of the problems. Um, and just to touch on as a day's point before. Um, it's also the job descriptions. It's not just like the interviews and the bias and things like that. It's, I find it so hard to write a job description because I'm basing it on job descriptions I've already read, but I know they're, um, they're not, they're not written in a diverse way. So then I'm trying to figure yeah. out what, like how I would read it if it was the first time reading it and things like that. And it's, um, it's just such a hard thing to do. Um, tracking back to, um, selecting and vetting people, um, I have a question for Andrew about how you actually form your teams for your short-term um, like projects. Uh, is it just there's a pool of people and then whenever you need someone, you can pick them together and make a team? Or um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm in the gaming industry, which is very long-term, takes years and years to make games. So um, I can kind of uh, hire people to be in a team and they can for very much form before going through. So back to my question, Andrew. <laughs> That's an awesome question. Uh, I would say it's very tricky. Um, and much like you, I spent probably most the, in the majority of my career on, on again, it's a consulting term on client side. Um, but yeah, I, I spent most of my career in product teams as well. So, um, you know, more familiar with hiring in, in the same context as you as well. But, you know, I think, uh, like I was saying earlier, the tricky thing about it is, fulfilling that short-term objective, but then knowing what the the future home is for the people that you've kind of deployed on a specific project. Um, and, you know, to your question around, do you just have a pool to choose from? Well, um, I, I would say it really just depends. Sometimes we have uh, the people already within our business that, uh, you know, maybe rolling off another project that um, it would just make sense for that person to go and um, be deployed on, um, you know, whatever gig is coming up. But, um, you know, often it's really, uh, the, the full life cycle of having to go out and, um, you know, put job adverts out there and we've got an amazing talent team within our business. 
um, who who are really great at what they do. And, you know, often it's just working with them to go and uh, and literally just pound the pavements and find new talent. And so we're, we're looking at that full life cycle before we even get started. So there's, you know, there's often a lot of pre-work that needs to get done. If we've got a new project that's coming up and, you know, that needs to start months before we even um, are writing a line of code. So, yeah, it's tricky, I will tell you. Yeah, it sounds like a big difference between um, kind of that short-term objective and the long-term. Um, I know I find it very hard as someone that um, has long-term teams to get them to high-performing, kind of you're joining all these people that haven't worked together before. Um, there's a lot of things to work out before you can kind of um, start getting to that high-performing stage. Yeah, yeah. And maybe, I'd, I mean, I'd love to ask the same thing of, of you. I mean, in, in the reverse, I mean, because you're kind of looking into the future, um, what are the types of things that you think about when you're bringing someone in? Yeah, so um, it's definitely team fit. So I kind of try to explain to them um, how the team works and everything like that um, and ask them how teams work in the past. And um, one of my Good interview questions is kind of if you had to form your own team, what would you look for? Um, it is just definitely making sure that their values match and um, they'd be okay working kind of in that in the team environment. Um, because once you get in, you're going to be in that team for a, a semi-long period of time. You can always change, of course, if you don't like it. But um, our teams do stay together for a long period of time on um, usually the same project or even um, if we do move projects, usually the team moves with it. So um, you definitely need people that get on and people that are happy to communicate and can trust each other and um, teams without conflicts, personality conflicts for sure. Amazing. So it's an interesting concept there, um, especially, you know, comparing the long-term hires versus sort of that short-term um, hire that you're on about Andrew and how I can imagine sometimes you know when you go to choose a project or a technology in those short-term um, sort of pieces like sometimes would you look at the talent pool first to say okay you know say you know if you're going to choose a certain programming language is there a pool of people there that can actually do that or you know oh do we stay away from that because there isn't resources does that ever dictate how you how you hire and how you build um, your software? Yeah, definitely. I I don't think there's any real one one way. I mean, if of course, if I could have it my way, everybody would be a long term hire. Um, but it just, you know, again, right, coming back to people, um, yeah, everybody's got their own objectives and their own career tra trajectory. And I think it's being aware of, uh, you know, again, how to make that work in in the sort of semi transient nature of a team, but you know, also um you know get get the job done that you need to yeah amazing um as a day do you, do you want to add anything to to that specific topic what well, a specific topic this is how i see it and based yeah. on my past experience uh, what could help with the short-term hires or basically when you want to deliver an objective in a short mm -hmm. amount of time with the new mm -hmm. team members what has helped me in the past is clear processes and clear roles and responsibility, clear goals and clear strategy. So when you have, so let's say that, you know, you have the foundation right, whoever you bring into that foundation, if you pick them, we talked about, you know, gross mindset, flexibility, culture fit in terms of when we try to find the right candidates. So if they have all those characteristics, characteristics. Then when we get them to the environment and setup that we set them for success, we can have a quick results because they, we, we make, we create a clarity in terms of what it's expected of them to do. We provide a, and empower them with the tools that they need and with the processes that they need. So when you create that clarity, then you it's possible to have short-term results with the new team members. When I was working for Microsoft, uh, one of the one of the areas that I have been working in was my team was working with uh, Microsoft customers team and basically together in a short period of time, we helped them to uh, solve their business problem with the tech, with new technology uh, 
stack that they haven't been familiar with. And having clear processes, having clear goal and mission that helped everyone to be aligned and that helped everyone to, to focus and have a grit and vision to, in a sense, that with that grit and commitment, because there is a goal and we all want to achieve it and it's a mutual understanding that we are here to help each other to deliver the goal and to have the business impact, then everyone feels empowered to go toward it. Obviously, clashes could happen. You know, people might have different opinions, but if we focus on the goal, that's easier to resolve because you kind of de uh, decouple and detangle personal preferences from the main objective. So everyone looks it from what is our objective, what we want to achieve, and then let's talk. And then another thing that it helps us, or at least help me, is acknowledging that decisions are reversible. So you make a decision as a team. If it's if it's wrong, it, because we have a growth mindset, we admit it, we change it. So we are not going through the culture of blame. We are not through the culture, oh, I've told you so. Uh, that's why I'm insisting on this, because in the last time we did that, it didn't work out. So we are, we are saying that, Let's make a decision, move on. If it doesn't work, we test it out. If it doesn't work, we quickly can cross course. Amazing. Um, these are awesome insights, guys. Um, thank you. Um, should we move on to the next subtopic? Or is there anything else you guys would like to add um, to that? All good. Amazing. Um, this is um, as a day's um, subtopic, which I'm really interested. Um, I mean, we've got heaps of little tips just from that first piece, but um, it's basically coming up with sort of practical tips for building high performing teams. Um, so as a day, do you want to take it away and kind of give us some of your insights, please? Sure, absolutely. And I think that we all talked about it in the other uh, subjects that we talked about it. Yeah. But what I would like to emphasize is you cannot expect a group of highly skilled individuals without any effort from the leadership and executive become a high performing team. That's impossible. Absolutely. Having a group of a skilled and motivated individual is key, but not enough. Uh, we need to create an environment that everyone feels that they are valued respected and belong. An environment that empowers everyone to grow and be a lead. So when I said a lead, doesn't mean that they have a title of lead. It means that if you are a junior engineer, you can still lead. If you are a senior engineer, you can still lead. If you are a manager, you can still lead. So you inspire people around you to be more and to do more. So that's, when I say lead, that's the lead. The, the definition of lead. So do you want to create effective processes? We touched, uh, we talked about it, that we need to make sure that we have effective processes and those effective processes and the processes that we have, it's not like uh, it's Bible or Quran or whatever holy, uh, you know, verse that people believe in and you cannot change it. It's basically, it's a process. If it doesn't work, we look into it, we change that processes, we improve that processes. Then we want to have a mutual respect. Having the respect and trusting environment is very important. Specifically for leaders, I would say that you need to create credibility. People believe you, trust you, listen to you, want to work with you. If it's not there, you couldn't expect people because you are the leader or your manager, they follow what you say. If you don't have that credibility, then that's impossible to have a high-performing team. Amazing. Then the next bit is identifying and creating um, vision and strategy. When you create clarity, that helps everyone to focus. That, that helps everyone to know what is expected of them. Then, you know, you, you're accountable. You can hold them accountable as well. Then another part is, uh, as a leader, you need to know strengths and weakness of your team members and encourage all of the team members also know their own um, attributes and aware of everyone else's attributes. So when you create a cohesive function, they can help each other to grow. 
And also they know the opportunity areas to grow as well. So every individual knows their opportunity area to grow and also knows that, you know, their team members' strengths. So they can, you know, they can learn mm. and also they can help them with their weaknesses. So then that's a different, that's how you could, these are only few options because I, yeah. I'm sure that Andrew and Kyla have also some tips that they would love to share. But these are very high level that I would say that as a leader, we need to make sure that we create an environment that enables high performing team. Otherwise, just by hiring uh, motivated individuals, you cannot achieve the high performing team. Amazing. I thought that this is really um, interesting. I love the emphasis on accountability. Um, but I just think how important knowledge sharing is as well. Um, you know, if, if you've got like incredible people in the team, but they're not going to learn from anyone, you know, how does that grow them? Um, great um, concept there as a day. Um, I think, does Kayla, do you want to add to that? Sure. Um, I agree with everything that Azade said. A hundred percent. That's pretty much aligned with um, how I build a high-performing team. Um, really, yeah. this comes down to trust, um, believing in your team, um, not micromanaging them, micromanaging them, and um, empowering them. So um, make sure you're holding them to account to things like sprint goals or. Um, uh, the things that they've agreed to and the expectations they've agreed to, um, but also giving them the power to solve those issues, to solve um, delays if you're running behind, like give the information to the team and let them solve as a team so that they can um, be empowered to hit those goals and feel like um, and feel like they're the ones that um, improve this rather than the manager stepping in and going, oh, hey, this is how we should do it. Um, I think that's really important. And um, I just want to point out what Azadeh said about everyone being a leader. Um, part of stepping back as a manager is so that everyone can be a leader within the team in whatever um, whatever part they want to be in. Um, and that way you let them grow as leaders and you let them solve problems. And um, by growing those soft skills, they're the ones that's going to uh, realise there's a problem early, raise it and um, start talking about it with the team before you, you even know about it, which is exactly what you want. Amazing. What I really like how you, you put together so trust and empowerment. I feel like you can't really empower people if they don't have the trust um, around them. How do you like build up sort of the trust and pass over empowerment and kind of, you know, allow, allow people to feel confident um, to kind of trust in themselves? How do you get that balance right? Sure. Um, so, um, so one thing is really getting to know your team members um you can't they're not going to trust you if you don't know each other yeah um the other thing is yourself being vulnerable so a meeting when you don't know something a meeting when you made a mistake um realizing that uh, it's okay to make mistakes that um the team supporting you and things like that um yeah. and doing what you say don't say you're going to do something if you're not actually going to do it don't break that trust before you can get there um and then once you have that trust um it's I don't know what I was going to say. I've lost my thought. Don't worry about that last sentence. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. You know, you think you, you, you hear the word high performing teams and exactly what um, Andrew was saying earlier on, it kind of comes across as quite, you know, masculine and that sort of like strong kind of vibe. But it's very much about pairing it back and being vulnerable, holding yourself accountable, um, humble. Um, yeah, it's incredible um, to, to hear this. Um, Andrew? What would you like to add to this? Uh, look, I think uh, really amazing thoughts um, from Kayla and Azadeh uh, and, and yourself, Shauna. I think, um, you know, maybe the only thing that I would add is that, um, you know, to second what Azadeh was saying about structure, uh, you know, I really think that teams having guardrails um, or, yeah. or I, I wouldn't call them processes, I'd call them patterns. Um, you know, it's, it's something that, as you were saying, as a day, it's, it's not that this is the absolute set in stone way of doing things. It's more that, you know, here's a problem that is very common to delivering software and we've solved it in a specific way that you, as you know, perhaps a new member of the team can reference. Um, but to, you know, to have the freedom to say, Hey, I don't really think that this works as well as it possibly could is super important. 
um, you know, and, uh, you know, as to what you were saying there, Kayla, you know, to have the humility to say that that's a fantastic idea. We should absolutely try that. Um, you know, and I think that's, that, that, that comes into kind of agility, which is, you know, small a agility, not, not agile TM, um, <laughs> you know, that, that we all aspire to, um, rather than just having Kanban boards up, but, um, no amazing thoughts. And I think, you know, just in terms of, uh, accountability that you were referring to there as a day, um, I think it's important to remember as well that, um, and, and I'm saying this out loud because I know I've had this thought myself, yeah. Um, you know, not not everyone in the team is like you, and you have to be aware that you know that psychologically as well. And you know, this goes into Kayla's topic. Um, you you can't set expectations on other people based on the way that you might solve a problem, um, and you you have to be to, uh, open to giving people bandwidth to do things in things in their own way, um, but kind of bringing it back to those guardrails or those patterns. Mm. Absolutely. Um, amazing. Yeah, the, these truly are like great insights, um, everyone. So thank you. Um, are you happy to wrap up that subtopic and move on to the next, which um, I think is just, it, it really flows into it. Um, this is Kayla's subtopic, psychological safety. Um, and it's something I think, um, which high performance teams clearly very much needs. Um, so, Kayla, do you want to tell us a bit about what is psychological safety? Please. Sure. Um, <laughs> I wasn't exactly expecting us to go so deep into psychological safety that early. I was assuming that people <laughs> would have different opinions to me. So uh, <laughs> it's pretty much what we've been talking about. Um, but yeah. really, it's about the team feeling comfortable to be themselves at work, um, yeah. to take risks, to be open and honest, to um, yeah, to just be themselves, not have to hide anything. Um, the last thing you want is someone making a mistake, hiding it. It's going to get worse. They think they can still fix it and couple of months down the line it's this massive thing that you know, have to do um performance yeah. talks about everything like that rather than them just turning around and said oh I made this mistake yesterday um yeah and it's while well, it's still small and you can solve it so you just really want people to um be comfortable at work and happy to raise things that might even be a little bit embarrassing yeah amazing and how does it help make a team high performing um, so as we've been talking about the risks to raise earlier, mistakes to solve before they come, um, before they become a big thing, um, yeah. the team's more engaged because they can be themselves, everything like that. Um, but I'd be interested to hear if, um, if either of these two have any other, um, opinions on how it makes a team high performing. Yeah, absolutely. I can go next. So Kyla, in terms of how I see the psychological safety, you're absolutely right. So you want to make sure that the team members can share their view, their opinion without, without feeling a fear or being judged. So one part is if they have done a mistake or if they don't know about it, they can easily say that I don't know about this topic or I have done this mistake, I need help. So, or, you know, I don't know how to do it. So I put my hands up because I need help. And also as part of the psychological safety is, as you mentioned, when they see the risk or when they see them, their leaders have wrong ideas, they can easily correct their leader without being worried that they're going to be a retaliation or they impact badly, reflect badly on them. So if you create that trusting environment, then you could uh, so then you could create a high performing team because they can easily correct their leaders. Yeah. You know, you couldn't expect as a leader you know everything inside out because you the team members they're working on a problem day to day. You yeah. are just looking it from you know bird eye view or even the higher view. So then it's uh, for them, they see the details better than you. If you don't create that relationship that if they see something they can flag it early on or they correct you when you make a mistake then that's the problem so one of the one of the areas that i would like also to flag in a sense that when you want to create a psychological safety as a leader it's important how you react when someone gives you feedback or when you correct you so when you're speaking and someone corrects you just thank them and say that, oh, sorry, I, I wasn't aware of it. 
and correct and then continue. You don't need to apologize multiple times. In your one-on-one, you can you know, appreciate the, the point and thank them. And also, you know, because you were talking, you know, you don't need to diverge and thank that person in that big meetings, then you know you've you lost you lose the focus of everyone. So you just thank them, correct yourself, move on. So that's the first part. The second part is when they give you feedback in one-on-one, it's something that you know you you think differently. And, you know, they have feedback that might not always all the feedbacks are right. Not always all the feedback as a leader, you need to listen to them. Mm. Not in a sense that you have to apply them, but you always have to listen to them. So I correct myself. So basically, <laughs> when someone gives you a feedback, the first thing is you you listen to them, thank them for the feedback. Ask them for more context in terms of and also ask them if they were you, how would they go about it? Get, make sure that they uh, you hear them, you listen to them, you get all of the pointers that you mentioned to you. Then conclude it. Make sure that you understood the pointers that they gave it to you. So this is what I understood based on the feedback that you gave to me. Is it correct? And then if it's correct, then it depends as a leader. It's up to you that if you want to apply it or you want to think about it, or, you know, what would be the next actions? So then you emphasize it as a next action item. So thanks for bringing it up. I think about it and uh, I see that if we can apply it or based on this extra information, unfortunately, we cannot apply this feedback. But I, I you know, appreciate that they had the courage to bring you know, that feedback to you, make sure that they, they do it again. And that's a behavior that you want from every individual in a team, that if they see something, they bring it to your attention, you think about it. And if if it's possible, you apply it. If it's not in line with the business value, you give them to the point that you could share. Because sometimes as a leader, some are areas that you cannot share with the team members. So you could say that there are some other contexts that unfortunately I cannot share with you. At this stage, however, I understand your point of views because of these reasons, uh, we cannot go about it. So you make sure that they have been heard, you have listened to them, and also emphasizing that this is uh, and reward them for their courage to bro- provide that feedback. So why, why because that has enhanced the psychological safety that you want, uh, that people can come to you bring their problems, raise the risks, even correct you and make you a better leader. I 100% agree with everything you just said. I would almost recommend every single time to go away for a day at least, think about it and come back before saying whether or not you're going to enact on it. Um, The reason for that is you might, everyone, no matter how good you are at controlling your emotional state, you've got to have a reaction to it. Um, you don't want that to influence your decision. Um, yeah. And unless there is a very obvious business reason why you're not going to do it, um, there mm. might be something small you can do um, while still being within the business needs that might um, move towards what they want, but not um, not put the business needs at risk. So yeah, um, having that time between uh, uh, understanding the feedback and actually deciding what you're going to do, I think is really valuable as well. And something that not many people uh, know that they can do is like, I thank you for your feedback. I'll think about it and come back to you. Um, most people want to react then and tell, tell them what they're going to do. Yeah. It's a really good point, actually. Amazing. Um, Andrew, do you have anything to to add to this one? I think that that's a really beautiful point that Azadeh was making, Um, you know, the trying to make things constructive rather than contrarian uh, is is really tricky. And I I think, you know, we've probably all experienced it's pretty typical of software dev teams for people to just be contrarian for the the sake of it. Um, You know, as opposed to encouraging people to be constructive in the way that they that they bring things up. And I think, um, you know, that's super important to show that vulnerability as a leader as well. Um, You know, it it brings you down to the same level as as the people that you're working with. And, you know, the other thing that Kayla said as well that's super important is is to be able to admit 
um, you know, if you've made a mistake or if you need help. And I think, you know, the, the psychological aspect there that I think, you know, I, I've probably struggled with myself is that, you know, all of us with our experience and the things that we've done, um, we kind of imbue all of that into our personal identity and it becomes a part of of who you are. You know, Kayla's the cloud expert and Azaday's the, you know, the database expert. And, you know, I always go to Azaday for those things. And, you know, it, it kind of be, it becomes your identity in a way. And it's it's sometimes difficult to admit that, um, you know, maybe if you needed help or if you didn't know something, yeah. um, you know, particularly as a leader, I think. But it's so important to be able to to have that culture. Um, and, you know, I think I, I think, again, that, you know, that's where having patterns and having, um, you know, processes and structure within your team and encouraging that that to be an evolving thing um, that's not set in stone and that changes based on what um, the team's experience of it is. Um, and, you know, sometimes those things can be difficult to kind of put a, a metric value on, uh, you know, how, how well are we doing and, um, yeah. you know, but, but again, it probably just comes back to the, uh, the difficult nature of people and, um, but amazing points from, from all of you. Fantastic. Yeah, they really are. Um, I think we might have touched on this, but just in case of there's something else we could add. Um, at what level is psychological safety required for a team to be high performing? I would almost flip this question around and say, um, yeah, I've completely lost it. But um, what happens if a team isn't high, uh, isn't psychological safe? Like if it is getting results, but doesn't yeah. have that psychological safety? Great question. Just because what? I think we all agree that psychological yeah. safety is needed for high-performing teams. Yes. So, yeah, what does that look like when, when there's a high-performing team with no psychological safety? Um, who I wants think, to? <laughs> yeah, I'll probably just make a really quick comment that I've probably seen uh, teams burn out really quickly um, yeah. when that's the case. And, you know, it can be okay for uh, a short-term objective, Um but, you know, I've, I've known lots of folks in my network that, you know, are contractors and kind of fly in, fly out type people and, you know, parachuting into teams to do yeah. short term projects. And I think, you know, when everybody's just a, a lone wolf um, and they're just there for, uh, you know, a very specific short term objective, it can be like that. And I think, um, you know, teams that can't quickly build some sort of, um, you know, camaraderie or you know psychological safety are going to burn out um and i think even in that in the short-term sense of projects that that's a that's a bad thing still um because you carry those things at, you know into the next job and yeah. into the next project um you know you, you you can't see things as just transient that way um it's going to affect your experience throughout your career for sure yeah okay um, as a day, do, do you have anything to add to to the, your thoughts on what that might look like? To Andrew's point, uh, I absolutely agree with you in, in, in the terms that the teams would burn out. And also I would say that this is a loss of investment from the organization because these people won't stay long yeah. with the team or with the organization. So the moments that some exciting job offer or even not exciting a very yeah. out offer to them, they will consider it. So yeah. what you want is people like the team that they are working and mm -hmm. the mission that they are part of it, then they stay longer within the organization. That's a longer term investment from the, the leader's perspective, from, you know, you want people to stick around yeah. to deliver success. If people just come in for a short amount of time, then they leave. That means that it's not a good return of investment from the business perspective as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I can I can add to that. Um, you know, insights myself when I am speaking to people that genuinely want to move roles. A lot of the time, yeah, it comes down to you know the team environment. Um, and when we're talking about psychological safety, um, 
yeah, it's it's a lot to do with the lack of that in a team. Uh, no matter what money they might be on or, you know, what level of shares they might be waiting out for, you know, that they, they want out. Um, and you're right as well. They do, you know, when they do experience that, they kind of carry a little bit of a wound with them for a while. And it's, you know, they're, even when they're interviewing in places, you know, is that is that going to be the same situation? How do I find that out? You know, it is hard to kind of shake it. So um, I totally agree with all those points made. Um, it's very, very insightful, um, but also highlight a lot of things that I didn't really notice what was the situation before, but it's, it's brilliant to, to get these insights. So thank you. Um, the last kind of question around this is how does bringing new members into the team impact psychological safety and team performance? Kayla, do you want was, to? Yeah. yeah sure. <laughs> um, if I was to lead it on to what you just said, um, if someone does come from a team that doesn't have psychological safety and you do hire them, yeah. um, that wound goes past, so I suppose, interview stage and into um, building psychological safety with them or be, mm. building glue with them because they've just had someone that they trusted or even if they didn't trust them, wanted to, to trust. Um, yeah. yeah, someone's broken that trust. And yeah. so um, and so they'll take a while to trust the new team to go, okay, is it actually like this or is it because I've only been here a month or whatever yeah. it is? Um, and it will take a long time. And there have been – I know people that we've hired that – um, have really never been in a team that has full psychological safety or really focuses on that. So as they join the team, we're like, oh, no, don't worry. You're not actually going to get blamed. Like, you can say what you want. It's not going to go on a performance record anywhere. Don't worry yeah. about it kind of thing. And it takes them so long to realise that that's actually the case. It's not just, yeah, um, yeah it's not just the same as they always had it. Um, so relating back to the question, um, as you bring new members in, um, trying to get that trust as fast as you can um, is really the key so that yeah. uh, the psychological safety can continue and um, that person can ramp up and start performing um, inside the high-performing team. Brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, Andrew, what's your thoughts on this? Uh, re really great thoughts. I mean, I think probably speaking from my own perspective of teams that I've worked in that maybe weren't so um positive versus the ones that i really really enjoyed um you know i think if if somebody's had a bad experience and then they're joining a team that's you know actually a really positive um psychological environment to be in um it it obviously it depends on the person but you know for for people like yourself kayla and and as a day like i think you know you both kind of exude that you know what you what you're preaching is kind of the 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 vibe that you give off and i think that that puts people at ease yeah um so if you you know if i was joining your team um which they sound like amazing teams to work with by the way from what i've heard um you, you know i would i would feel at ease about that and i think you know it it's just it's really important to um you know, I suppose that all that stuff comes out in the interview process as well. But, um, you know, what what you both are doing is amazing from that perspective. And I think, um, you know, obviously, again, I feel like I've said this heaps of times, but <laughs> it just people can be so unpredictable and it's, you know, it's often difficult to know what, what's going on in someone's you know, personal life as well as, as well as their professional life. And I think, um, you know, so long as you kind of set up that the environment for psychological safety, then, um, you know, that's all that you can really do. And whether that person prospers long term in the team or not is really, you know, it's not just up to to you, but up to them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as a day, I'd love to get your thoughts on on this um, as well. No, I agree with what uh, what has been discussed. Uh, I also would like to say that as a leader, when someone joins your team, mm. they will test you out. So yeah. they, they will test you out. So it's very important to see that how you react specifically for the first few interactions. And it's 
if you have that all of those practices are internalized, then you are safe you, 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 because you value psychological safety. So you're always doing it. However, yeah. I would say that, you know, just a reminder for the new starters, you need to be extra careful in a sense that not giving them a wrong indication that you are not value the feedback or you are not value their opinion because they knew they come up with some ideas and they test you out and yeah. you know you don't shut them out accidentally or you know sometimes you know all of us attend multiple meetings have multiple directions to follow and it's very easy that sometimes in unintentionally shut down a new ideas quickly or you know said oh that's this is not in a guideline this is not in a process let's focus on this so yeah. that's an innocent comment but you are shutting down a new person so you need to make sure that you give them and uh, you you get extra attention to the new uh, hires to make sure that you set them for success and you you passed the tests because Every person that joins a new organization, they, based on their past experience, they do small mini experiments on their leaders, on their team members, and they want to try figure out, you know, the boundaries. So you need to make sure that you're very clear in terms of the boundaries, the areas, and yeah. also not accidentally shut them too quickly or basically you shouldn't at all to shut them. But in a sense that, uh, you know, sometimes accidentally, unintentionally, you might say that, oh, no, this is not our focus. This is our, our mission. And, you know, you ruin the whole person's experience. So basically what I'm trying to say that pay extra attention for the new hires because you want to set them for success. And mm -hmm. the first few months, it's very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's so important. And I think as well, bringing in those you know, new people, that you continue to have that, those processes, that environment. Um, question is, how do you, you know, if you take someone in and they, maybe they aren't, when they, they join the team, they aren't really going by those values or, you know, really kind of sticking to that kind of environment. How, how do you kind of manage that or what, how do you handle that type of situation? I can go first. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, yeah. So uh, if I understood the correct questions, that let's say that if you find someone after all of our efforts and yes. after all of our feedbacks, and we realize that the person it's not to the level that we are expecting them to operate, yeah. both from the technical set, from the soft skill set. So as a leader, you also have tools, and also I think that the feedback. It's one way that you go from there. So basically, you shouldn't wait too long to provide feedback. So yeah. your one-on-ones, it's one of your manager, managerial tools to provide feedback. If you see that those feedbacks are not going toward the direction that you are hoping for, and the person is very defensive of those feedbacks, potentially you need to figure out What's their learning style? What's the how you can have impact on that person? And you know, you try all of your bases as a leader to provide the feedback. If you would expect that you provide the feedback to to a person once and they do and they act on it, you're wrong. You know, they need to hear it multiple yeah. times. You need to make sure that you know they, you share it in multiple different forums, mm -hmm. and written, spoken group conversations, team bonding exercises. And then if you see that none of them work, then I would say that the exit transition, it's also an option. So you put that person into perform P process and then you need to make sure that they exit well. This is very extreme, but I would like to make sure that you as a leader, you are maintaining your team. So if someone it's not operating to the level that you're expecting, not respecting your values, your team values, not respecting the other team members and basically impacting everyone's morale. Then as a leader, if you don't act on it, people would see you as a leader that you, you know, not a weak leader, but as a person that you, uh, you cannot handle the situation. Yeah. So you also lose your credibility as a leader. 
and basically in a written form, uh, unwritten form, you're kind of approving those unexpected behaviors as well, if you are not react to it. So I would say that don't say that, you know, the problem goes by itself. You need to act on it. If you see something, you need to take action and use all of the tools that you have in your toolbox as a manager to address it. Because otherwise it would impact your credibility and it yeah. would impact your team and what you and your team member tried so hard to achieve as a high performing team. Amazing, Azadeh. Thank you. Um, it's great insights. Um, yeah. Andrew, Kayla, what, any, anything to add there? No, I think, I think you covered it all. <laughs> yeah. Perfect response. <laughs> Um, Andrew, uh, what's your thoughts? Yeah, may, maybe uh, amazing thoughts. Maybe the only mm. thing I'd, I'd add is, um, you know, obviously as leaders and, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of, um, you know, absolutely not saying that uh, that I've got all the answers, but I've heard a lot of younger leaders often complain about, um, you know, perhaps members of their team letting them down or, mm. uh, you know, feeling like, um, you know, the individual is the is is the one that um, that needs to bring everything to the table. Whereas, you know, obviously, as leaders, we're responsible for the team and the individual. Yeah. And I think that, you know, if there's somebody on your team that's maybe not performing as well, it's your responsibility as a leader to give them the resources they need to to be successful. Um, but on the flip side uh, as well, and, uh, you know, I mentioned this earlier that it's often um, can be devastating when things don't work out. But, uh, you know, obviously you can't win every battle. Um, and as Azadeh was saying um, much more eloquently, it's, uh, you, you know, you do have to know when it's time to make a decision about those things and obviously be decisive about it. Um you know, not not so much just to show your your command as a leader, but to stop the negativity from bleeding into the rest of the team as well. Um, and that's obviously it's it's a really tricky thing to do. Amazing, um, incredible insights as well, Andrew. Thank you. Um, yeah, has it do do we have anything else to add to this piece, or do you feel like we've I think we've covered a lot. Um, have to say um just looking back at everything that we discussed um yeah it's, it's super insightful um some of the things i'm taking away from it is um you know sort of what we've mentioned is you kind of hiring people that have a mindset in terms of you know awareness that they want to continue to improve um they continuously want to grow they see themselves as you know being you know credible accountable see themselves as a leader rather they're a junior um a ceo it's like they all have that type of a mindset um and then naturally what comes with that is the skills isn't it like you know if you've got all those um attributes the the, the tech skills will just will just come naturally um and then as well uh, like you guys have all mentioned that empowerment across the teams and and the trust um to allow that empowerment um, but yeah, I think this has been fantastic. Um, I think we all agree it's probably, we could probably wrap it up there, um, for now, but, um, I just want to say thank you all for joining me on the podcast and providing such interesting insights surrounding such a relevant topic for today's, um, senior managers, um, and how to build high performing teams. So, um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.